Welcome, 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 and thank you so much for spending your noon hour with us on the Mighty Alan Carter Radio Program. And today, the main question we will be asking throughout the hour, over and over again, will be this. How much is that going to cost me? How much is that going to cost me? How much is it going to cost me to have stickers on the gas pump? Well, coming up, the uh, Environment Minister, Rod Phillips, Ontario's Environment Minister, uh, announcing yesterday that there will be stickers on all of the gas pumps. How much is that going to cost me? Also, we're going to start, though, in... Ottawa, where you may have heard just in the news there, Jane Philpott saying that the Prime Minister violated the law when he expelled her and Jody Wilson-Raybould from the Liberal caucus. Here is more of what Ms. Philpott had to say in the House. When the Prime Minister and his office prevented Liberal members of Parliament from exercising their rights under Section 49.8, they violated the rights of Liberal members What is at stake here, though, and this is where I just don't follow the former cabinet minister, is the very concept of cabinet and caucus solidarity. Remember, Jane Philpott came out and said she had no confidence. She had no confidence in the prime minister or the government. And how in the Westminster parliamentary system do you actually have a workable government where that would be allowed to continue, where that would be a precedent that you would be able to say, I have no confidence in the leader of this party and the leader of the country and be able to remain in caucus. I don't follow. I simply do not follow how that is. I also do not follow how the ejection from the caucus has somehow uh, violated her rights, because that's the other thing that Ms. Philpott is saying in the House. The other thing I want to talk about really quickly is the level of discourse now in Ottawa, over SNC-Lavalin, here is Justin Trudeau talking about something we talked about a lot yesterday, which is the threat, the simple threat of a lawsuit against Andrew Scheer about Scheer's comments about the scandal. I think it's important that uh, all politicians uh, be straight with Canadians in how they characterize uh, their own actions and their own beliefs. I think we're going to have an election uh, in the coming months. Uh, you can't be inventing things. You can't be lying to Canadians. Uh, And Trudeau says his threat is about making sure there are consequences, as you heard him saying. But he is not saying if he actually intends to make good on this. And I think that this is a bad development in Canadian politics. And it just hasn't happened at the federal level in Ontario. We have witnessed this. Kathleen Wynne suing Patrick Brown. You may remember this uh, in the previous administration. Uh, She also sued Tim Hudak. And I think it is unfortunate when we get the lawyers involved, because at that point, uh, aren't we just stifling debate? Are these these politicians not thin or thick-skinned enough to be able to defend themselves and to be able to simply threaten a lawsuit, as we have seen, both with the federal government and also in Ontario, I just don't know if that helps democracy. I want to move to provincial news now and the Canadian press. We talked about this in the newscast. The Canadian press has learned that Ontario will announce free dental care for low-income seniors in the budget. Of course, the budget is released Thursday. All of the details of the budget will become public at around 4.30 Thursday afternoon when Vic Fideli stands up in the legislature and actually delivers it. That's when they let all the journalists out of the room where they've locked them up and 
like a you know like a flock of birds just flying off. And you know what happens? Have you ever seen a flock of birds take off? You know what they do as they take off? Well, let's just say they they leave some ballast. Let's just say that. So it's kind of it's kind of an apropos um, metaphor for what happens on Thursday. Uh, senior government sources. I'm back to uh, Canadian Press now. Senior government sources say anyone over 65 in this province making under nineteen thousand dollars. 300 a year, that is 32.3 for couples, will qualify. The service will be accessed through public health units. The program will cost $100 million a year, and you may recall the PCs promised this free dental care for low-income seniors in their election platform last year. And there is a lot of interest, of course, in what is coming on Thursday. Uh, Premier Ford was in Niagara, and I want to play a couple of things that he said that really stuck out to me, when the premier was in a sort of fireside chat. Now, these were not questions from journalists. It was kind of friendly questions lobbed in there, but uh, it, it does tell you what he is thinking about. I want to begin with what he had to say about the Niagara area. And if we have anybody listening in the Niagara area, or perhaps you have friends or, or family down there, this is of particular interest to anybody in southern Ontario Uh, especially anybody outside of Toronto. Listen to what he has to say, the Premier here, about the Niagara region. Big government's bad, in my opinion. What's Niagara and Muskoka? What's Niagara? They have 122 or 130 elected officials. That's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. I think I'm underestimating that. You look at Muskoka, too. Just layers and layers of regional uh, government. I, I just, I'm not a big believer in big government, a lot of politicians. The less politicians, the better it is. (laughs) And that gets uh, some applause from the crowd, and it indicates to you what the Premier has been saying, which is that there is going to be a reorganization of regional governments. And previously, the Premier had said that uh, in the Niagara region, you know, 118 politicians contrast that to 25 in Toronto. And, of course, you remember what the Premier did to Toronto you know, asked directly previously if there is amalgamation coming to Niagara. Ford has not yet answered and just said, we'll talk to my Minister of Municipal Affairs, who also says, we're, well, we're just looking at everything. And of course, right now, former Deputy Minister Michael Finn and retired Waterloo Regional Chair Ken Sealing are special advisors that are working on a report for the government about the possibility of more amalgamation. I want to play one other thing that Ford said today, and this is going to be of particular interest for anybody in the Peel region. And I hope Patrick Brown, I know Patrick Brown's a big fan. Patrick Brown likes to listen to the Mighty Alan Carter radio program. So, uh, Mr. Brown, Mayor Brown, pardon me, Mayor Brown, here is what the Premier had to say about the possibility and the push from your counterpart in Mississauga to, to leave Peel region, to secede. Here's the premier. I hear Mississauga, they're running around wanting to be their own uh, city. And I, I don't have any issues, and neither does our team. you, you got to go back, all the way back to Bill Davis when this was created, when Mississauga had 200,000 people. Now it's 700,000 people. It's, it's larger some, uh, than some standalone uh, cities uh, across, the, across the country, not to mention the, the province. I don't think Mississauga is running around. I I think that is the wrong verb. But nevertheless, you get what he is saying there. He is essentially saying he approves the idea, at least verbally, at least on a high level. And coming up in the program, 
just after 12.30. Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie will join me live on the phone and react to what you just heard the Premier saying there. Of course, the other thing that we're expecting prior to the budget is tomorrow we are widely expected to hear what the province has planned for Toronto Transit. And the Mayor of Toronto, John Tory, was speaking in advance of this. There's plenty of concern at City Hall that once again, here we go again, where all the plans are going to be torn up and we're going to redo it. Well, let's go underground now. And the next thing you know, millions more and more delays. And welcome to Toronto where nothing ever seems to get built. No infrastructure, no transit seems to get built. It's like we're living in a banana republic. But let me peel this Chiquita as I play this from John Tory about, I believe, is he talking about King Street here at three? What is this? Number three. Play number three. I'm confident that Executive Committee today and City Council next week will approve this report and keep pushing ahead with our plan to build transit now. People want relief, and our transit plan will provide relief. Any proposed changes to our plan risk delaying already overdue transit expansion in the city, and that is why I'm so committed to ensuring that we move ahead and do so in a way that does not cause delay. With the, can he be any duller? I mean, I really. There was when he was at Queens Park, uh, when he was Tory leader at Queens Park. It was widely known amongst the press gallery that if you just stood there with a microphone, he would never go away. He just would never finish talking, and you would just get to a point where you would say, "John, seriously, just get me. I'm I'm looking for an eight second soundbite. Just wrap it up." I want to really quickly here, because I don't have a ton of time, but I want to bring in Patrick Kane, who is uh, Global's national online journalist who files on amazing stuff. And he has a story today, which I think is fascinating, all about the, why is it if you're going to buy marijuana in this province, brick and mortars, you have to, in some cases, give over some of your information. Privacy concerns had previously said, hey, listen, don't order online because you got to give all this information out. And what if you got to go across the border? What, what pot, you know, there are ramifications to that news. And Patrick's on the line. And hi, Patrick. Hi, Alan. How are you? I'm great. What did you find out about the software that these uh, cannabis companies and these retailers are are using? We found that what there is a, the, the honeypot, which at the time was the only cannabis store, legal cannabis store in the 416 area code, was scanning a lot of their customers' IDs with a device, which left a lot of them kind of confused and upset. Um, we talked to the, the we talked to the device's distributor, and uh, it's designed to do two things. And one of them one of them is one of them is understandable. Um, the stores have a problem, which is that they are both the individual checking the ID and also the store can have very large fines if they serve underage customers, which is fine if you're checking Ontario driver's licenses. You see them all day. But how do you deal with oddball IDs? How do you deal with someone who walks into their North Dakota driver's license and claims to be 19? Um, the solution is you have this this gadget that can check that check them and tell them if it's tell you if it's real or not. I, I, I got to get I got to get to selling some soap, but what happens to the information that you put in there? Is it at risk? Well, it's supposed to be it's supposed to be it's supposed to be forgotten. The second thing that this database can do is build a customer database based on your ID. So we talked to the store, and they said this process is optional. But what we can't get at is how clear it was made to people that it is optional. Patrick Kane, and uh, I will just, uh, because we do have to go, Patrick, I appreciate you being on the line. Thank you so much. And I will just point you towards 
Patrick's story, which you can see on globalnews.ca. It's right there, Patrick Kane, that is C-A-I-N, if you're looking for that. And if you have any concerns at all about your privacy as you order what is a perfectly legal product. I want to ask a question, and it's a simple question. I want to ask it without any bias. Is Doug Ford a populist? Well, the reason I ask that is recently Doug Ford sent out a fundraising email, and I'll read it to you, and I love the fact that he personalizes it. Alan, writes Doug Ford, folks out there have a lot of names to call me. One of them they seem to think is bad is calling me a populist. I'm not sure why they think it's a bad thing. I call it listening. And then I jump to the end of the email where he asked me for a dollar, and then he says... That's why I'm cutting red tape left and right, so everyone who wants a job can get one, and if they call that populism, I guess I'm a populist, Doug. Wikipedia defines populism as a range of political approaches that deliberately appeal to the people, often juxtaposing this group against the elite. There is no single definition of the term, which developed in the 19th century, and has been used to mean various things since that time. Is Doug Ford a populist? Frank Graves is president of Ecos Research Associates, and he joins me on the line to talk about populism. Frank, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Is Doug Ford a populist? I would say absolutely Doug Ford is a populist. Uh, I personally don't, as, uh, as the public, don't attach the pejorative to the term that a lot of people uh, do these days. I mean, populism has been around. It's, uh, it's a very interesting phenomenon. Your definition captures it. There's two key elements. One is kind of a sense that the elite, who are often seen as corrupt, are not working in the interests of the people. And that's the second part, that power should be restored to the people. Sometimes that becomes the pure people, which is my people rather than everybody else. But generally, that's the... Uh, essence of populism, which seems to have reemerged with, with a vengeance in, not, in, in the uh, advanced Western world in the last few years. And I think there's interesting questions why that's happened. But, uh, you know, when we ask Canadians, is it a good or bad thing? Most say, I'm not sure. You know, they see, you know, possibly this is a correction for the fact that whatever the elite prescription is, hasn't been working for a whole lot of Canadians. And the people who feel that most intensely are most attracted to it. Frank, is there not also an element of anti-intellectualism here? And, and that has a danger for our institutions, does it not? Where we start saying, yeah, you know what, you with the PhD, no, you are a pinky up, tea sipping elite. We're going to replace you with somebody who doesn't have the experience. You're absolutely right. And uh, I mean, I'm giving you the public's views on this. I think if we were to array the history of populist movements throughout the advanced Western world, uh, particularly the versions we're seeing now, which tend more to what we call ordered or an authoritarian populism, uh, they probably range from disappointing to disastrous outcomes. So they ha- the, there is a, a pretty checkered history. If they are a, a correction, uh, they also tend to be uh, relatively, as you mo- point out, not just indifferent to elite authority, which includes intellectuals, professionals, and science, but in some respects, hostile. I also found, and I pulled on this, that Doug Ford was extremely attractive to people who believed that mainstream news was fake news, were fatigued with things like the hashtag MeToo movement, 
thought that all this talk about social justice and equality was really distracting from the bigger issues. So this, there, it, and it does produce a very polarized, at least the current iterations we're seeing in Canada, the United States, and in the UK as well, uh, produce very unhealthy levels of polarization. There's no common ground, very few points that we can agree on. There are, interesting, there is a, one point of common ground, which is basically a belief that most people aren't moving ahead and that whatever tepid growth is going on in the economy is really just going to a few people at the top, which is often one of the key triggers for seeing populist movements emerge. Well, this this growing gulf between have and have not and the widening uh, inequality in wealth as the one percenters continue to pull away. Widely now, if we talk about the Western world perhaps in the last 20 years, it's a right-of-center populist that has emerged. But in the past, that has not always been the case. And I think, Frank, what worries me is when we see this definition of the other, of the elite, and perhaps, I am, perhaps I'm ex- extra sensitive to this because Doug Ford has gone after the media and journalists, just like Donald Trump. So now I am defined as the other. And in totalitarian societies, they exist by demonizing the other and motivating the masses against a segment of society, and that worries me. Am I on side on that? Oh, no, no. We should be very troubled by this. As they say, this kind of brand of uh, authoritarian populism, which looks for a strong man to kind of deal with what are seen as uh, a litany of, of problems, not just with the economy, but a magnified sense that there's external threats out there, that are dangerous to me, and it then it produces a, a suspension for some of the kind of typical balance between things like civil liberties and uh, and racial tolerance that exist. In fact, some have argued, and I think with uh, on good grounds, that this is a cultural backlash that has happened because of this tremendous revolution, the silent revolution, as some called it, that emerged after the period of the Second World War. Uh, Western societies became far more. Uh, tolerant and progressive, and a lot of people who didn't necessarily feel comfortable with that, particularly in a world where they haven't been moving ahead, have been attracted to this uh, this other type of authoritarian populism, which produces not just hostility to science intellectuals, but also to outgroups. You know, it's the the people becomes my people often, and that typically isn't a very good thing. So I think we need to watch this quite closely. If Doug Ford is a populist, is Justin Trudeau a populist? No, I don't think so. I think. But there let, are... let me let me let me flip the argument there. Yeah. So he appeals to a particular progressive. Uh, he appeals. To, he used to appeal to a feminist base, perhaps less so now. So why is that not populism in that direction? The way that Ford is in his direction. Well, I do think. Interestingly enough, uh, you have seen, as I mentioned, populism is ideologically thin. It can be expressed on the right, the left, even the center. Uh, but in Canada, we're not seeing uh, much of the sort of left-wing or, 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 or uh, progressive populism. You do see that in the United States, in fact, almost taking off with Bernie Sanders, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Jeremy Corbyn in, in the UK, but it's it's not really a force in Canada at this point in time. So the kind of, const- interestingly, if we look at the constituency that supports Doug Ford, which looks remarkably like the constituency supporting the Conservative government at the federal level, 
it's in many respects quite different from what we'd have seen even three or four years ago. For example, Doug Ford and the federal conservatives now lead quite decisively with self-defined working-class Canadians. That has not been the traditional bailiwick for conservative governments, and I think it was seen uh, a, a, a level of, of deep pessimism about the direction of the country, about the economy, about my future, which has produced a different kind of conservative constituency. And uh, it's, it's, it's fairly politically potent, though. It's, it's actually, even though most Canadians aren't of that stripe, the ones that are feel far more strongly about it. And one of the key issues under uh, pinning this is attitudes to things like immigration, um, which, interestingly enough, opposition to immigration in Canada has actually been coming down the last few years, but the individuals who feel very strongly about it are actually shifting votes on this issue in a way that they haven't in the past. So, you know, there's a kind of asymmetry in terms of the levels of emotional engagement driving things, which means, like, you're not going to see people out with placards going, you know, I really would like more immigration, or immigration's a good thing. You might occasionally, but it's far, le- far more likely to see people with placards going on about, wow, we shouldn't be accepting asylum seekers. These guys are, you know, crippling our, 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 our public finances. They're bringing uh, threatening behavior and those kinds of things. So that becomes the more potent force. And I'm not associating that in particular with Doug Ford because I don't think it's been a, a, a key part of his narrative. But Absolutely. No, the nativism, uh, nativist uh, tendency that we see south of the border haven't been there. Uh, Frank, we have to leave it there. That is okay. Frank Graves, president of Ecos Research Associates, talking about populism. Thank you for being on the program. Thank you for being on the uh, giant program as I learn how to turn on my microphone. I'm still a TV guy, only a couple of weeks here on the radio program, and I'm just I'm learning my way. And I appreciate you being here as we stumble our way through, and we have a lot to talk about in this next segment. Two big guests coming up, and our first guest is going to be talking about... Stickers, stickers, stickers. Namely, that Ontario drivers will soon be seeing government-mandated stickers about the price of carbon or the price, the carbon tax, the federally imposed carbon tax, will drive up the price at the pumps. Of course, the Conservatives have been railing against this. And to talk about it, I am pleased to welcome to the radio program the Honorable Rod Phillips, who is the Environment Minister for this province and also the MPP for Ajax. Rod, thanks for being here. Hey, good afternoon, Alan. Let me start with the main question, I think the question that is on everyone's mind. How much is that going to cost me? How much is this going to cost me? Well, and you mean the carbon tax? Well, that no, I mean the stickers. The stickers, well, not the six hundred and forty-eight dollars a year that it's going to cost families for the carbon tax. The stickers. Okay, <laughs> fine. <laughs> but yeah. you, you didn't you didn't mention on the stickers that I'm getting a rebate. But we'll get into that. How much are the stickers going to cost? Well, it's a minimal amount, and remember, we were just announcing them yesterday. So we're going to make sure that we're completely transparent about the cost, but. You know, as you'd expect, I would say, um, it's uh, it's nothing compared to the importance of making sure that people in Ontario know the costs are associated with bringing this carbon tax into place. And, of course, that's largely uh, unnecessary because we have a plan that's going to hit the objectives the federal government set anyway. So, you know, frustrating for us to see a tax that's unnecessary uh, to achieve objectives that uh, we're going to achieve. These stickers are totally unnecessary. I think a lot of people would say that, Minister. Um, I haven't heard that from anybody else. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll start, and I'll okay, also start. Right I'll, 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 I'll start because this is an overtly political message. That you are, are you actually going to change legislation to impose this on gas stations? Well, it's it's a message like the federal government mailing postcards to everyone, talking about uh, their election year rebate. So uh, we do 
unfortunately, in the case where we're having uh, a real disagreement with the federal government like this, and they're using lots of government resources to make sure that they tell people uh, that they need a carbon tax to fight climate change, um, we don't think that's the case. So, you know, we're going to do what we need to do to educate people. It's not uncommon. I think all of us as drivers have seen a sticker on a, on a gas uh, pump talking about the level of taxation and the fact that taxes are there. We think it's important that people in Ontario know that, you know, 4.4 cents now, up to 11 since uh, in uh, 2022, that's as a result of a carbon tax, and as I said, a carbon tax we don't need to hit the climate objectives that the Prime Minister agreed to in Paris. Uh, the uh, sticker that you uh, showed yesterday uh, had the Trillium logo that has been referred to as three men in a hot tub. The government has announced that it is going to actually change that, so now we have a sticker that you've put out. Now you got to do it again because the logo is wrong, and my question again is... How much is that going to cost me? How much is that going to cost me? <laughs> well, as, as you know, uh, Alan, quite well, yesterday was for demonstration purposes because we are going to bring legislation to, to make sure that we can put these stickers up, and as the logo changes, we'll use the Ontario logo. But I've, what I've heard from you know drivers and others is that they want to understand the costs of this tax, and, uh, and we're going to make sure we communicate it as, uh, as clearly as we can, and stickers on gas pumps is one way to do that. Rod Phillips is the Minister of Environment, and uh, so great to have you on the program. Thank you so much, Rod. Appreciate you taking the time. Um, And I I like stickers. Could you make them uh, scratch and sniff? Well, you know, we might have a contest for that, but uh, but most importantly, we want to make sure they communicate clearly what it is that's happening, which is that there's this added charge. Um, but if you have ideas, you know, I'm my yeah. door is always open. Yeah, I have an uh, idea. Just put something under there about enjoy your rebate check uh, coming shortly in the mail. Rod Phillips, always great to have you on. Appreciate that. We want to move on to something else which is happening today. Uh, and just before we go to the mayor, I think we're about to get the mayor of Mississauga on the line. You might want to stop by my secession rally later tonight. You want to stop by my secession rally later tonight, Bonnie Crombie? (laughs) Good afternoon, Alan. How are you? I'm fantastic. Did you hear what the Premier said about his basic approval of what you want to do, which is uh, take yourself out of Peel Region? Well, I did hear what he had to say, and let me tell you, I'm very pleased that our message is reaching him in Queen's Park. Uh, um, he's clearly listening, and I, I'm actually quite amazed that he's hearing what Mississauga is saying and what other other municipalities have to say on the issue. The uh, mayor of Brampton, Patrick Brown, has said that Mississauga would have a substantial bill to pay if the city is granted secession. Uh, to Global News, this is a quote from the mayor of Brampton. If they do, that is, leave, the reality is there would be a debt that would be owed to the city of Brampton. For years, the Brampton taxpayers have subsidized Mississauga growth, unquote. <laughs> is that true? Well, if, we've been subs- if they've been subsidizing us, and I'm sure he'll be glad to see us go, that's all I can say. But there is no legal obligation of anyone to pay anyone, any municipality. There's no legal obligation. And let me say to you, that is completely false. Mississauga has been paying the tab at the region appeal for the past 45 years. At one point, we were paying 77% of the costs. Today, it's 60%. It has decreased, but we're still paying the full tab at the region. We have 50 2% of the population and only 
50% of the vote. When I look at Caledon, God bless. It's a beautiful, beautiful township, municipality. Don't, don't, don't belittle, don't belittle the, the rural people. You're now, no, you're, now you're talking no, down to the that. rural people. Not at all. It's a beautiful place. They have beautiful roads. I know. We pay for them. Uh, listen, they have five councillors at the seat at the table, at the regional council table. So they have four times as much weight as my councillors. They have 70,000 70, population. I have more than that in one ward. They shouldn't have five seats. There is no population, uh, representation by population, rather. So the system is broken. It needs to be repaired. There are no Band-Aid solutions for this. It is time. It is beyond time. Mississauga has proven itself to be fiscally responsible. We've proven we can govern our own affairs, and it is time that we control our own destiny. So I'm very pleased that the Premier is talking about empowering cities. That's always been our position. Uh, but of course, that's not anything we can decide. The decision is his and his alone to make. The future of regional governance in eight regions is the Premier's decision to make alone. So I will continue to put forward what I think is the strongest business case and continue to engage with my residents as I did last night. We had overflow capacity, over 350 people attended, both from the council chambers and our overflow rooms, and we had overwhelming overwhelming support from our residents and businesses. I can tell you that at that meeting last night, the manager, the city manager, presented a top 10 list, and I'm going to assume that it wasn't Letterman-esque, but (laughs) the top 10 on the reasons of Mississauga should leave the region, improved customer service, a single set of bylaws and rules, and cost savings for local residents. If you're just joining us and you did not hear what we played at the beginning of the program, which is the Premier talking in Niagara, or pardon me, in Burlington Burlington. uh, earlier today, and here is the quote, uh, I hear Mississauga, they're running around wanting to be their own city. Uh, Congratulations on running around there. Uh, And I don't have any issues and neither does our team. you got to go back, all the way back to Bill Davis when it was created. Mississauga had 200,000 people. Then he goes on to say how big right. it is. And the numbers that, this is the numbers that you're talking about. 40% of residential property tax dollars goes to local government, and 41% goes to the region. But my question for you, Mayor, is if this ends up with a big bill for you and your constituents, if you leave, will that be palatable? Well, it's not possible. So there are no legal obligations for municipalities to repay each other. But the, the reality is that's absolutely fundamentally false. We have paid the bulk of the freight for the 45 years we've been in the region because we've been the largest municipality. We also have the largest assessment base, the largest tax base. We have 65% businesses, 35% residential. It's the reverse in Brampton. We have always paid the freight. And in in addition to the 60% we pay for re- to regional revenue uh, at the region appeal, we pay we transfer an additional 85 million dollars each and every year to Brampton and to Caledon, largely for Peel Regional Police and regional roads. So how is that possible? I think the mayor has misread the report or doesn't understand the findings. It's very clear on page three and four of the report that Mississauga is the one to make significant gains in any dissolution. We are the ones of most sound fiscal management, and we are the ones to gain. And we're just saying as the third largest city in Ontario, we want what other municipalities across Ontario have that are much smaller than we are. The Windsors, the London, the Guelph, the Hamiltons, uh, the Thunder Bay, Sudbury, and God, for, and, and in addition, 
Dryden. Dryden who can control their own destiny. That's all we're asking for is to be independent, single tier, and to control our own destiny. And I think we deserve it. I think we've performed well and we've proven that we can manage ourselves and we also subsidize our neighbors. I think eighty five million could be reinvested back into our city into our taxpayers' priorities and back into our business priorities rather than transferring to Brampton to Callan. And it's time that Brampton Mayor, Callan and Mayor learn to stand on their own two it, feet. It's only going to be a matter of time before there's a Fort Sumter somewhere in Peel region. <laughs> Bonnie Crombie is the mayor of Mississauga, and she wants to tell you... You might want to stop by my secession rally later tonight. Come on by. We're having a secession rally in Mississauga. Bonnie, thank you so much for being on the radio Thanks. program. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a good day. We've been through quite a lot in this last hour. We've talked about stickers. We've talked about populism. We talked about weed, and we talked about why it is got to give your information over if you're going to buy some weed. Well, we have more weed information, but this is the different kind of weed. And as the temperature warms up and the sun comes out, pretty soon your grass is going to start growing. And, well, if your grass is anything like mine, it's about three-quarters weeds. It's green, but it's just not grass. It's clover, it's dandelions, it's any number of other things. And I struggle with it, like any kind of a homeowner, about, you know, my, my front yard's going to the weeds. Well, one of the things that you tend to put on it is Roundup. You've bought Roundup, perhaps. You've seen it in the stores. Well, it contains something called glyphosate. Glyphosate. I'm going to get that right. And it's one of the most common weed killers in the world. It was introduced by a company called Monsanto. It is the active ingredient in the herbicide. And here's what Wikipedia has to say about this particular drug. It's a broad-spectrum systemic herbicide and crop desiccant. We're right there. It's used to kill weeds, in other words. But the problem is, is there's all kind of controversy over what it will do to you. And in March, in California, a federal jury ordered Monsanto to pay more than $80 million in damages to a California man whose cancer, it was determined, was partly caused by his use of Roundup. Now, this verdict in a United States District Court in San Francisco is a milestone in this continuing public debate over the health effects of Roundup and its most active ingredient, which I have been talking about and likely mispronouncing, the world's most widely used weed killer. What does it mean for us? Do we have it? Obviously, we have Roundup. Is it here? Is it going to stay here? Oh, here's a pronouncer on the big board. Glyphosate. Elaine McDonald is the director with Healthy Communities with EcoJustice and joins me on the line now. Elaine, hi, how are you? Good, good. How are you, Alan? Glyphosate. Glyphosate. Yeah, it just rolls off the tongue. It just, yeah. <laughs> so tell me, where are we in Canada with actually having glyphosate in our products? Well, like other countries, it is the highest use pesticide in Canada. It was just in 2017 uh, approved again by our federal government uh, for another 15 years. Every 15 years, they review they review pesticides, and uh, glyphosate just got a, a new approval not that long ago. So it's still going to be, unless something changes, they're still going to be widely available for both uh, domestic and agricultural use across Canada. It is still, despite what I was reading about this uh, jury award in California, it's still available widely in the United States, is it not? It is. It is. Those laws and, and European, in European Union, nobody's pulled it, have they? 
No, there is talk. I think France is talking about a phase out, um, but uh, so far nobody has completely banned glyphosate. Uh, according to the National Pesticide Information Center, uh, it, glyphosate is not included in compounds tested before by the Food and Drug Administration. So does that mean it is possibly in our food and we don't know? It is on your food. There's residues of glyphosate on your food. The, uh, and they're called, there are maximum levels which are permitted by law, but you, most of your food uh, will have some level of, especially wheat products, for example, will have some level of glyphosate on them because it is sprayed on so many different crops in Canada. Um, there's actually been some recent uh, reports that have come out for environmental organizations in Canada that uh, have tested foods like Cheerios and found uh, glyphosate in Cheerios. Organizations like WHO, the World Health Organization, I believe is part of the consensus that says that the glyphosate, there is no evidence of human carcinogenity. I'm sorry, I'm reading from Wikipedia, and apparently, this is why you're not allowed to use it on tests in high school. Uh, Actually, but but that, that is, is that consensus true? Well, actually, the World Health Organization is the one organization that has designated it as a probable human carcinogen. Um, and that, became, that was a, found to be a very controversial finding. Um, and, but now the evidence has mounted. That, that finding occurred a, a few years ago, and many of the pets, the Monsanto, which is now actually owned by Bayer, have been uh, pushing against that finding a bit by an agency called the International Agency on Research and Cancer, and they found, which is part of the World Health Organization, and they found they made that designation back in 2015. Um, but just recently, there was a, a big meta-analysis paper that came out in the academic literature, which looked at all of the data on glyphosate exposure and cancer risk, and they determined that the highest exposed individuals, which are generally people that work in the agricultural industry, farmers and so on, have a 41% increased risk of developing non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a type of cancer, from use of glyphosate. Elaine, we're running out of time, but for those who are listening right now and are wondering about their garden, would you use Roundup or would you just say, don't go anywhere near that? Well, I don't use it anyways because in Ontario we have a cosmetic pesticide ban. So you're actually not supposed to be using. Is it not available? This particular kind? It's available it in is. the stores, is it not? It is. There's exceptions, and it is available. But um, you know, if if you know, just get learn to love dandelions. It's really not necessary <laughs> to be using this stuff. Learn to love Honestly. dandelions. Elaine McDonald is a director of Healthy Communities with Eco Justice. Thanks for being on the line. We Thank only you. have a, a little bit of time left, but we have a little time for a little rip and read. What we do here is we take uh, news wires, we take the uh, wire services that come into the station, and I just rip and read them. I just So basically, I have not read these previously. It is just me reading this stuff cold. So let's begin in Tennessee. This is from Associated Press. A same-sex couple arrested during a misguided crackdown on lawful CBD oil products in Tennessee is suing saying county prosecutors and deputies abuse their authority. The Daily News Journal reports the federal lawsuit filed uh, says that deputies blasted Christian music during their arrest, and the suit says authorities also seized proceeds, padlocked the store, publicly defamed them as being drug dealers during what they promoted as, quote, Operation Candy Crush. All charges were later dropped because the products actually had no legal, illegal substance in them. Let's move to, where are we going now? Prince George. Let's go to Prince George. 
An orange tabby cat is likely to have used up more than a few of its nine lives during an unauthorized trip from China to British Columbia. The North Caribou District branch of the BC SPCA says the emaciated six-year-old female was found inside a shipping container originally loaded nearly a month ago in Shenzhen. The container arrived by freighter in the port of Vancouver, was shipped to Prince George, where the unnamed cat was found amongst the pallets. The cat is quarantined while being nursed back to health, and the SPCA estimates it cost the cost to save it. The cost to save this cat will reach $2,800. And what, as I leave you today, was the thing that we were asking all hour long? The main question here on the Alan Carter radio program as I leave you for another day and head off to my other job up at Global News. You can see me on the air at 5.30, simulcast here on this radio station beginning at 6 until tomorrow. The question we always ask. How much is that going to cost me?